Welcome everybody to another one of my uh, podcasts. Uh, hello if you're listening and hello if you're watching. You know me, I'm Alex. Uh, I am delighted to, I'm delighted to have bumped into uh, David. We'll come into that in a minute. David Allison of uh, Value Graphics. Uh, David, you're quarantining right now, is that right? I'm quarantining. I just, I live in Canada, but I just got back from a conference in the United States. And Canada right now, if you come in from the United States, they force you to go and spend 14 days uh, locked up and not visiting any, I'm not even allowed to leave the house. Like right. you can't do anything. Okay. So you've uh, you've taken refuge in your cabin just outside of uh, just outside of Vancouver. Um, well, yeah. thank you, you know, so much for affording me the uh, the the time. And I, I'm, I'm always excited with my guests, but this this is this is a little different. This one in terms of uh, what we're going to be uh, talking about. So I met uh, I met um, I bumped into Davis off another um, short uh, vlog that uh, Kate uh, Kate Chernis from Lately was uh, was running. And it really piqued my uh, attention in terms of what you were uh, what you were talking about. And I'm going to get really I'm going to do really badly at describing this. So I'm going to read the title off your LinkedIn profile, and then we can uh, we can go from there and see where this takes us. And just bear in mind for those that are listening rather than watching, David also has some slides he's going to be sharing, which I appreciate is not much use if you're listening and you can't see but we'll work something out we'll figure it out in terms of articulating that but david describes himself as this find out what your target audience cares about and focus on that why waste time and money on anything else our proprietary data set can tell you exactly what you need to know anywhere on earth over to yep. you over to you. Okay, <laughs> that's actually a good introduction. Uh, so I did, I did prepare a few slides because as you'll discover as we talk today, I tend to ramble and I can end up talking about what my dog likes to eat. So I, I use the slides primarily to make sure that I'm actually making sense and that things are, 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 are proceeding in, in some kind of order. Um, so I'm gonna just make sure this is happening the way it's supposed to, and there we go. So. The first thing for anybody who's not watching, the slide right now just says eight times your effectiveness and yes, change the world. So it's the way I like to start everything. This data that we've collected, this new system of thinking about audiences that we've developed called value graphics instead of demographics and psychographics, or in addition to demographics and psychographics, we can show you how it's as much as eight times more effective as a way to understand what motivates your audience to do anything and therefore how you can influence them. And the cool part is that if we all start doing this together, it's way better for the whole world. All the divisiveness, all the stuff that's going on in our world right now, all the political machinations and the, the divisiveness that's created in our world will get healed if we all start thinking about what each other cares about and what we value instead of arbitrary ideas about rich and poor and young and old and black and white and male and female. Yeah. So everybody wins. Uh, I always like to start by talking about Bob and Sally. Mm -hmm. Bob and Sally are sort of my code name for all of the um, audience target uh, demographic descriptions that I ever received when I had my marketing firm. So my clients would say, here's who we're targeting. And it was always some version of Bob and Sally who were, you know, retiring baby boomers and they lived in the suburbs and they had 2.3 children. And, you know, they would get, someone would write a whole story up that was as uh, complex as what brands they like to wear and what car kind of car they drive. And so we'd have these stories and then we'd, my company back in the day, I, for 15 years, I ran a marketing consultancy that worked specifically with the condo developers who were building really high-end condos. Yep. So we'd take these descriptions, we'd go spend a million bucks, we'd sell out these condos and all these different people. And then two years later, the cool thing about real estate and condo development is you go two years later and you see who bought. So you can actually get a closed loop on what you did and what happened. 
when there was never any Bob and Sally's in the room. Like, where, where were they? We just spent a million bucks and all these other people showed up. Like, there may have been one or two Bob and Sally's, but yeah. all these other people. So why the hell were they there? We just spent all this money talking to Bob and Sally. So it was a big mystery. So it turns out, fast forward 20 years, and here we are working on this thing, that if you just take a step back and think about this, every organization on earth exists to do just one simple thing, and that's identify a group of people mm -hmm. and get them to do something. Yep. And whether you're a profit, a not-for-profit, B2B, B2C, the church, the politics, mm -hmm. everybody, we're all just running around trying to get somebody to do something. Yep. That's what we spend our lives doing. So it would be really cool to know what was going on with Bob and Sally and how do people actually make decisions to do one thing instead of another. And so that's where I started. So I started looking at these human behavior fields of science and scientific inquiry. If you start with neuroscience, for example, mm -hmm. neuroscientists will talk to you about the prefrontal cortex of your brain. And right. you've heard it referred to as the CEO of your brain. So everything comes into your brain, your brain sorts it out and then bosses the rest of you around. Mm -hmm. It only uses one set of filters to make those decisions. Incoming data, filter, and then what are we going to do about this? And those filters are your values, what you care about, what you think is important in the world. Right. So that's neuroscience. Tick. We move on to psychology. And the psychologists talk about a thing called confirmation bias. If you're doing a study, you're trying to avoid this because what confirmation bias is, is this natural, unavoidable human tendency to run towards the things we already agree with, the things we value. Oh yeah. Psychology, tick, it's about values. Values determine what we do. And then my data set and what we've done is we live in the world of sociology. So sociologists mm -hmm. identify large groups of people and say, why did these people vote for this guy and these people vote for that guy? Mm -hmm. Well, you do it in retrospect and it always comes down to understanding what their values were. These people really care about this, so they did that. And these people really care about that, so they did this. So here's all these different fields of human behavior. For decades now, I've been studying this and they all agree values determine everything we do. Mm -hmm. No decision or behavior or emotion or feeling happens unless it's about a deep-rooted value that you hold internally. So what that okay. might be, what, so that's, when you say value, and this is, you know, value may mean a million different things to a million different mm. people, and it is. So in, in your in your world, what do we actually mean by value? Give me an example of a yeah. value person. Well, sociologists will argue about how many there are, but uh, one of the biggest sociological tools out there, tests out there is called the World Values Index. And they have about 40 mm -hmm. that they say are the only, these are the only human values. Now we've done a ton more data collection than they have done. So we've ended up with a list of 56 for the planet. Mm -hmm. And it's things like trust, um, ambition, status, relationships, personal growth, environmentalism, family, friendship. Yeah. These are things that you can't go any further with with the question, why? Okay. Why did you do that thing? Well, because I thought it tasted better, but why did you think it tasted? Why did you choose that particular restaurant? Because it wasn't because of what it tasted. Why did you choose that place? Mm -hmm. Well, it made me feel like it was, a, it was a family place. It was a good place to bring my family. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we got to family. Mm -hmm. So the, the more you got drill you. down behind people's decisions until you get to their why, Mm -hmm. which is Simon Sinek's thing, yeah. right? About the what's the why. Mm -hmm. So we've just basically, another way to think about this is we've built a database that has empirically um, put some quantitative data around Simon Sinek's whole thing about why. What's the why for this entire target audience? Yeah. 
uh, and then you can use that to drive their behaviors. Yeah. So we went out to build this data set because so far all this science has only been able to figure out how to do this one person at a time. Mm -hmm. So your psychologist can give you an MMPI inventory, Myers-Briggs test, something like that. Figure out what your values are, look at your real life and go, wow, your values in your real world, they're out of alignment. So let's lie down on my sofa here and we'll figure out how to get that working for you and make you a happy person again. Yep. But how do you do that for a whole target audience of people who are gonna, you're gonna try and sell them a car or a pair of glasses or something like that. So we built this tool that does that. It's half a million surveys from mm -hmm. around the world. Yep. Uh, we've used 152 different languages. So we have a whole team of translators moving stuff in and out of different languages around the world. Yep. 180 countries we're ac accurate in now. Uh, we've measured those 56 values and they're empirically accurate for all those 180 countries. Yeah. It's what's called a random stratified statistically representative sample of the population, which is a ton what? of fun to say at, at cocktail parties after you've practiced it a few times, because you know one or two martinis in and you start falling That's apart. But basically, <laughs> what it means is it's a, it's a miniature model of the real world with the same proportionate number of men, women, rich, poor, young, old, Spanish, Argentinian, Canadian, and American. Yeah. Uh, and that's plus or minus 3.5% and a 95% confidence, which basically just means it's more accurate than you need for a PhD from Harvard. Yeah. So for the first time, we have now a database of what everybody on earth cares about. Mm -hmm. And we can use it to profile a whole target audience instead of just one person at a time. Yeah. So these 56 values, though, that's what's key about this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of once you realize there's only 56 reasons that anybody in the world would ever do anything yeah. or feel anything. Now it starts to become math, right? You can just mm -hmm. say, okay, there's 56 possible combinations. So if these four are in common with your target audience, then those are the four dog whistles you need to be blowing to get okay. people to come and do what you want them to do and move that group of people you've identified and get them to do something. You just, which are the, which are the keys on the piano you need to push? What's the chord mm -hmm. for your target audience? And, and just, then you just connect just the dots. Pausing there, David, on the, so yeah. when you talk about getting people to do what you want them to do, you know, that starts to feel a little minority report that starts to feel with, you know, yeah. the show that is Facebook in terms of we've seen the negative aspects of it's very Cambridge Analytica, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> yeah. It's what, what uh, do you mean by getting somebody to do what we would, what we want to do, or what kind of? I mean, you may be coming to this, but I'm kind of yeah. sitting there going, this this could be put into the wrong hands. This is like some Bond villain. Oh, but it's absolutely. <clears throat> so, let's deal with some of the ethics around this first. Yeah. So we all know about the Cambridge Analytica story. They were yeah. collected all this. They stole everybody's data off their website, off their their social media pages, yeah. and then they kept track of who they got it from. So Alexander, if they figured out that your family is the most important thing in your world, on your Facebook page, because they stole that from you, they would put an ad up and said, your family's at risk, run, vote, do whatever we want you to do. So it was really manipulative and awful the way they got their data. We, on the other hand, have asked people if they would like to contribute to this data set of what yep. everybody cares about. They know how we're using it and why we're using it, and that it's gonna get used over and over. Yep. And they also are anonymized. So once the data comes in, mm -hmm. we know if you're an 18 to 24 year old male who lives in the UK, but that's it. We can't track back against you. Yeah, okay. Finally, everybody who's participated, all those 500,000 surveys we've collected, they all have a secret code that they can email to us. Mm -hmm. And at any moment in time, they will we will remove their data from the data set. Cool. So it's absolutely voluntary. It's opt out. 
Um, yeah. And there's nothing that's been stolen from anybody. But what we've ended up with is a tool that's very similar to Cambridge Analytica, where we can say, for this audience of yeah. people, here's the things that will make them run towards you. And yeah. here's the things that'll make them run away. Okay. So focus on saying these things and you'll get them to do what you want them to do. I like that turn of phrase, run towards you. That feels that yeah. feels nicer than get them to do what you want them to do. Yeah. Run to, because there's that, all kinds of, yeah. there's ways to talk. I mean, I, sometimes I'll talk about this as magnets. Yeah. Here's the magnets that make your okay. product or service or brand attractive, right? Yeah. Right now up on the screen for people who are just listening, there's two circles overlapping and inside one circle it says what you've got and inside the other circle it says what they want. Mm -hmm. And that's really the game. Where do those overlap? What is it you want? What is it you've got to talk about or you want you've got what is what what are you all about? Mm -hmm. And what are they listening for? What are they looking for? What are their values? If you find the place where those two circles overlap, mm -hmm. that's the sweet spot that you need to be spending your time. So what yeah. it means for an organization is you know how it happens now. We sit in a boardroom and we all go, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to build a new thing or we're going to start a new campaign. And I think it should be this. And we've got some, some consumer data from last year and psychographically our competitors are, well, blah, blah. we throw all this stuff on the table and then we start guessing. We go, well, I think they're going to respond to a message about environmentalism because this, 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 and this. Well, now we don't have to guess. We can say yeah. these people will respond to a message about environmentalism, status, and family. Mm -hmm. So figure out how to connect whatever it is you want them to do, whatever magnet you want to build here, whatever yeah. dog whistle you want to blow, make sure it's about status, family, and environmentalism. Mm -hmm. And the prefrontal cortex will kick in for this whole audience and they'll go, huh? What do you, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Let's go that's look at that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So cool. it's really that simple. It's complex getting here. 500,000 surveys, 152 <laughs> languages. But now that we're here, yeah. When we work with a client, all we do is say, here's your five things. If you just make sure everything you do is about one of these, about these five, these five magnets, these five dog whistles, these five chords on the piano, you're golden. Just that, don't do anything unless it's focused on these things. Is that, and again, whether does the, what the, I guess what they're, what they're selling or what they want the person to run towards them needs to kind of have some kind of value in terms of that's a useful tool product service in in this in in the first place because there's the english expression you can't polish a dog turd so you know <laughs> if if the product itself is just not very good even if you're creating this marketing campaign or the social campaign or whatever with the five yeah. values they go that talks to me but what what why why would i want to use that why would i want to buy that why would i want to sign up to to that let me give you an example uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, my favorite quote, I used to I used to own my own marketing company, right? My favorite quote was a George Orwell quote about uh, how the fastest way to, or, or, or advertising is the rattling of a stick inside a swill bucket. That's, um, <laughs> that's, that's Mr. Orwell for you. And there's another great quote about how the fastest way to kill uh, a bad product is with great advertising. So, you know, we, you, you can't, you, you can't make up for the fact your product is uh, I'll try and be British because you're Brit is shite. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, but assuming you have a product that's yeah, worthwhile, yeah. yeah, it's really about reframing the way you talk about it. So here's an example. Yeah. We did a project years ago, uh, back when I was still focused entirely on real estate development. Mm -hmm. This is for a large scale condominium tower in downtown Phoenix, and like all condo towers in downtown Phoenix, where it's 
plus 4,000 degrees out every day, there's a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And if this one was on the roof, some of them are in the backyard. Yep. And every condo or apartment or any place in, in Phoenix is they say the same thing about their swimming pool. They say this is it's like being in a resort, you come home from work, it's 24-7 relaxation, you're gonna meet someone cute from down the hall, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you're gonna have a beer on the weekend, there's lounge chairs, isn't it amazing? Yeah. Well, we did our work and we found out for that this condo tower, the people who were attracted to it, who were most keen on moving in, were in fact saw themselves as being highly creative for one reason or another. I, we right. never know why, but yeah. the, the, the magnet that was attracting people to this particular tower was creativity. Mm -hmm. So all they did was talk about that swimming pool this way. They said, listen, we know you're a creative person. When you come home and whatever your project is, whatever you're tackling, you get stuck sometimes. And you go and swim in the pool, do a few laps, the endorphins are gonna get rushing and you're gonna be able to go back and tackle your project way more effectively than if you didn't have this swimming pool at hand and so conveniently located right outside your door. Now I butchered the copywriting, that's not yeah, what no, I'll get you. Yeah. But, but basically just same swimming pool, just talk about what people wanna hear instead yeah. of what you wanna tell them. Who mm -hmm. cares what you wanna say? Yeah. What, you, what you care about is what they wanna hear. That's the difference. Interesting, interesting. And you may become you may be coming onto this, so forgive me. But how that's in a B two C construct. How might this work in a business to business construct? So let's you know for let's take the example in terms of what I do. My my target audience is primarily um, probably going to be well, how old am I? I'm, I'm early uh, early forties, so probably forties to mid fifties dare I say middle-class whites for the main part in the professional services sector but they then have a bigger big so their role is to get their organization to sell more yeah. so how would one sell a group of people to do something yes yeah, so I'm selling my services to them or it could be do whoever but they're buying not for themselves they're buying a service which is going to make them look better or enable their business to do something more effectively. Yeah. Listen, we're humans. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 this isn't my term. I kind of landed on this at the same time as a few other people out there who talk about this, but I don't believe in B2B and B2C. I believe in H to H. The human to human. Humans yeah. to humans, right? Um, when you go to work, you're not, any, you're not a different guy than when you're at home. You still have the same set of values. Mm-hmm. Now you're gonna make decisions for your business, for your job, for your role, using those same decision-making tools that you use to decide what groceries you're gonna buy for your family and where you're gonna go on vacation. Mm -hmm. So all a B2B marketer needs to understand is for their target audience, what do they care about? What are the dog whistles they're listening for? Mm -hmm. And then make sure that that's how you're framing up your product. I'll give you a quick example. Yep. For one reason or another, uh, when we first started doing this stuff, uh, a whole bunch of our clients were Wall Street hedge funds. Okay. And they were interested in talking to institutional investors at large scale um, investment groups. What? So they would be banging on the door going, pick my fund, pick my fund. Mine's better than the other guy's fund. Yeah. Uh, and that's a metaphor. They weren't literally banging on the <laughs> fund. But they, 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 they had these uh, decks they would make where they would just send them out. They'd yeah. These hundred page long decks full of data about how our past performance is amazing and our management team is fabulous. And you should choose my fund for your next $5 million tranche that you're trying to place, mm -hmm. Mr. Placement Officer at giant you know, um, uh, investment company. 
Uh, and then there's always a paragraph at the back of the thing that said, you know, legally we have to tell you that past performance is no indicator of future. <laughs> so they basically just sent you this giant thing going, look how amazing we are, but yeah, none of it counts. <laughs> uh, and every single person sent out the same kind, every fund sent same okay. deck, a little bit of a different photo, two guys shaking hands on the front cover or a guy standing with a briefcase under a tower or, you know, you know it. And, yeah, and you yeah, we, all see it. It. we still see it. <laughs> yeah, and you could switch them all around, change the logos on them and nobody would know the freaking difference. Yeah. They're all basically the same. So if you know though, that the institutional investors who are likely to be interested in your particular fund, they care about the environment, and creativity more than anything. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to figure out a way to talk about your fund in a way that creates magnets around yeah. environmentalism, sustainability, and creativity. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. We worked with one fund in particular um, where they were talking specifically to people. It was a quant fund, mm -hmm. and they were very interested in making sure that people understood that they're, uh, they had a lot of respect for quant. Mm -hmm. you know, in the world of Wall Street, <clears throat> the quant guys yeah. They don't get a lot of respect. Yeah. They're like the you know pocket protector slide rule kind of stereotypes yeah. versus the qual guys who like just belong to the right yacht club and they have a gut feel that this is what we should be doing. And the lions of Wall Street have always been about qual. So the quant guys saying to them, listen, we understand math. We understand that what you do is incredibly creative. Math, after all, is the original form of creativity. If it wasn't for mathematics, none of us would be here because math is the foundation for every scientific discipline, every field of human endeavor. So just saying we get that, yeah. we understand, and we that's why we do the things we do, and that's what drives our business philosophy, and that's what's behind our mathematical formula that helps us make decisions about where we're gonna put money and how we're gonna play the markets. Just speaking that language to these people, they're like, Finally, somebody gets me uh, and they're more apt to look at that particular deck. Mm -hmm. Now, if the fund is shite, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's your yeah. problem. But we got people to look at that deck instead yep. of the 400 other ones that were on their desk that week. Yeah. Because we know how to talk to what they're interested in hearing. I'm glad you said that because that's kind of validates everything I talk about in terms of, um, you know, helping people on social and things like even a LinkedIn profile talk to your client in a human way start to create that human connection that they can go oh this person is a lawyer but they do the same thing that i do even if it's back to values you know like football clubs you know in in the uk soccer clubs in, in canada if you're from the same tribe as me arsenal man U, everton and you're the same tribe straight away there's like an affiliation kind of deep rooted here going i don't care who you are you support the same football team as me you're brethren I want to them potentially. So, I love that you're using the word tribe because basically what we're talking about here is building tribes based on what people care about. If you can understand that tribe and yep. those are your customers, your customers are a tribe for one reason or another, they are your customers. Mm -hmm. But we know that the only reason they are your customers is because of a value. Yeah. Because guess what? We don't do anything unless it's about our values. So they have chosen to be your customer because of some set of values they have in common. So let's yeah. figure out what it is mm -hmm. and then give them more of that and not worry about the stuff that they don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's that that's awesome. So how do you how do you in terms of what you do, how how does it all work in terms of value graphics? So you have this 
huge database you understand you know de value graphics not demographics in terms of this is your target uh, audience does somebody just buy your data and then try and figure stuff out or do you actually kind of go in go in with them with also your your previous hat being from a you know marketing agency background to then help shape what that messaging might you know may well uh, may well be yeah we don't do that here's what here's what we do we're focused on trying to get everybody in the world to stop thinking about demographic stereotypes and yep. instead think about values and what we care about mm -hmm. and so there's ways to do this where you don't have to hire me at all you can do this for free in fact just start asking your customers questions about what they care about instead of what do you like about my product you know we do surveys with our customers and we ask them two kinds of questions how old are you are you male or female how much money do you and i don't know what you're going to do with any of that because it's all bullshit. Yep. and then the second thing that we do is we say what do you think about me what do you think about my product how much do you love my product how many of my products do you own would you like to buy more of my product we never ask them about them we never say yeah. what's on your mind buddy what what do you think about before you go to bed at night and why do you go to work every day what's behind that and yeah. we if you start asking questions about what people care about of your target audience you'll see things you'll see themes emerge and those are the values that they hold and you need to talk to those values so it's free yeah second thing you can do is you can buy my book mm -hmm. uh for 16 bucks or something like that and by the way anybody who's ever put a book on amazon knows that i make about 50 cents a copy so this is not about me making money but in that book there's a quiz, a 10 question quiz we put together. It took us a lot of time to do that because what that quiz does is it identifies for your target audience that you give the quiz to, mm -hmm. which of the 10 largest tribes that we've seen in the data is most like your client base. So for 16 bucks, we'll point to at one of 10 giant tribes. And in the book, there's a whole chapter on each of those tribes. Here's all the stuff you need to know to talk to this tribe. Now that's getting more accurate than just asking questions because mm -hmm. you actually have a quiz but it's still like playing the piano with your fists right it's like bang bang at least you're on the piano mm -hmm. it's just not super accurate yeah. if you want to make beautiful music on that piano and be absolutely precise then yes you have to hire us and we can do this in a custom way for you yeah and that's a great opening i wanted to show you a couple quick charts and you'll see cool. what it looks like just quickly, is your book on Amazon, I'm assuming, so I can put the link. Yeah, in. yeah, the book's on Amazon and it's called uh, We Are All the Same Age Now. Fine. The data in there is North America only, it's Canada and the US. At the moment, one of the things I'm doing up here at my cottage is I'm working on the new book that will have a quiz in it for the whole world. So you'll be able to use that regardless of where you're working or where your audience is. Uh, and we'll share data for, for the tribes that we found. There's 15 tribes around the world. There's 10 mm -hmm. that give us the ability to talk about Canada and the US. We needed 15 to cover the whole population of the planet. So yeah. uh, that's cool. what the, the new quiz will have 15 questions and it'll post put you in that direction. Sorry? I was gonna say, I'll put the link to the podcast and the and the video in there so people can download it and we'll download it by it. And okay. I'll be doing that myself as well, so that's fine. Cool, awesome, sorry. <laughs> Fun findings we now have. Some on fun. I just went through some, like I was scrambling around this morning getting ready for this. And I just pulled a few charts out of a few different things we've done for some clients. So I'll just really quickly show you what value graphics can produce, what, what it looks like to know what your people care about and what your audience really is listening for. Cool. And then we'll try and so, describe this as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's the first chart. So this is something we did for the United Nations Foundation. They asked us to go and look at a specific group of doctors. Okay. And understand that group of doctors. So on the left hand side here, you see a whole bunch of numbers. Yep. And on the right hand side, you see a whole bunch of numbers. On mm -hmm. the left, 
are what these doctors care about and how important it is to them as an audience. And yeah. on the right is the same information, but for everybody in the United States. So okay. for example, the value of community. Mm -hmm. 77% of the doctors that we talk to, community is most important thing in yeah. their world, but only 43% for everybody in the United States. So mm -hmm. this group of people are incredibly different on that value yeah. than the normal uh, uh, average American. Mm -hmm. Go down to the next one, which is relationships. How important are the relationships in your life in the way you make decisions? It's about the same, you know, 70% on one side, 70% on the other. Let's look at another one that's like really shocking. For example, service to others. These doctors, 42% of the doctors that we talk to, service and helping other people is it what can I do to make it life better for other people is an important value. But to all Americans, it's 3%. So across the board, Americans yeah. in general, service to others is not a big part of their lives, but for these doctors, it's enormous. So if you're trying to talk to these doctors, yeah. That's about weird. In, in America, it's a service culture. So that they want to be served, and they don't care about serving other people. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of other very redeeming qualities that my American friends have, but uh, using the ability of my decisions mm -hmm. and my behaviors are, I am not making those decisions and behaving in certain ways. Yeah. Based on how much service that will provide to others. Mm -hmm. These doctors, however, they definitely are. So there's a quick example from the from the UN, uh, from yep. some work we've done from them. This one's gonna like just make everybody's head explode. So if anybody wants this one, I'm happy to send it out to you. Uh, if you just connect with me on LinkedIn and ask for this, I'll share it. So this is all the values, all 56 values for the entire world mm -hmm. compared to people in the United States. So we can do this for people in Berlin. We can do this for people in China. We can do this for people in the EU, but yeah. I just happen to have this one handy. So on the left-hand side is the values of everybody in the United States. Mm -hmm. And on the right-hand side is everybody in the entire world. So let's see how okay. Americans yeah. compare to everybody in the world. The so family's one. pretty important still on both sides. I'm yeah. looking for some places where there's some big differences. You can see how religion and spirituality is mm -hmm. pretty even on both yeah. sides. Uh, there starts to be some significant difference around health and well-being, for example, far more important to Americans than it is to everybody in the world. Yeah. Same thing with material possessions. The Americans like their stuff yeah. around the world. Stuff is not as important to us. And we can go on and on. There's 56 of these things mm -hmm. total, so we don't have time to do all that. But it's a fascinating chart. And we've got these built for every region in mm -hmm. the world that we've that we've studied. The last one I want to show you, and this is because I have something for your listeners. Cool. Uh, we did it. We did a study on the next generation of wealth. Who are the the people who stand to inherit all the money when the boomers die? Mm -hmm. Boomers, you've all heard about this. The largest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind is about to happen as the boomers shuffle off the dance floor and hand their money over to the next generation. Yep. So that next generation, what are they all about? These are the new rich people. Mm -hmm. So. Anybody in luxury, in investments, in uh, philanthropy, they need to know this information. So we produced a report and I'll show you two slides. One slide is how they segment out. Mm -hmm. So this is for the United States, high net worth and ultra high net worth yep. inheritors. So this is people who are going to inherit from 10 to 100 million plus. This is what they stand to inherit. And this is how they break up into these four different, five different segments. We won't bother going into all that detail because if yeah. somebody wants this report, all they have to do is connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll send it to them for free. Nope. 
uh, here's what we know about the top ten, top few values mm -hmm. for one of those segments, which are the ESG investors, the ESG champions, yeah. people who believe environmentalism and yeah. sustainability and good governance are the core fundamentals of how they behave. So for them, family, belonging, personal responsibility, health, well-being, financial security, and experiences are their top values. If you're trying to motivate the ESG segment of the next generation of wealth, yeah. this is what they're listening for. These are the dog whistles you have to blow, and these folks will come running to whatever it is that you're trying to get them to yeah. do. This is similar to the, the qual quant example you were giving earlier in terms of talk to the talk to the individual. So if you're marketing around the ESG world, your marketing collateral needs to be talking to family, talking to belonging, talking to what this can, what I can bring. I, if you work with me or my products, my products or my service will talk to and bring that for you in terms of family, belonging, personal responsibility, health and well-being, financial security and uh, experiences. What do you Absolutely. mean by experience? What do you mean by experiences? That's that's quite cool. Let's cool. talk about two of those: personal responsibility and experiences. So, personal responsibility—that's a value that we see come up. It's people who are want to be who who put a high level of value around being personally responsible. Mm -hmm. And we see this with environmentalists across all demographic categories. Yeah. They are more interested in how I can reduce my carbon footprint today mm -hmm. than being part of a giant campaign that's gonna save a bird in the Amazon rainforest that they're never going to see. They're very, I want to do stuff now. I'm part of the problem. I helped get this planet into this mess that it's in right now. What can I do right now? How can I recycle better, shop smarter, uh, use products in a different way? Teach me that and I'll be all over it. So for this group, personal responsibility, how is your whatever, your luxury product, your investment, your philanthropic ask going to help them feel like they're the ones getting stuff done? Mm -hmm. They're those alpha folks who have to-do lists in their heads all the time and they sit mm -hmm. around the boardroom table and go, I got it, I did that, it's already taken care of, don't worry about it, we don't need to talk about this one, I, it's, it's on me, I got it. Yeah. They're that guy. Okay. They don't sit on the couch and go, Someone should look at, they like get up off the couch and they go take care of whatever that thing is. Right. Protesters, anybody yeah. protesting, they have a high value around personal responsibility. Okay. I'm the one who needs to go out and make sure that the world understands that what we're doing here needs to change. Yeah, Those are people with a high level of personal responsibility. Experiences, okay. people who value experiences are always looking to do things that are new and interesting and different. So as opposed to people who want things to be the same. Mm -hmm. So I am not personally, I don't have a lot of experience. I don't put a lot of value around experiences. I put a lot more value around loyalty to the rituals and processes I already have in my life. I have one restaurant I like to go to and one chair in that restaurant and one thing on the menu. Yeah. When my jeans wear out, I buy the same brand because yeah. why would I take a risk on something where the experience chasers, they're like, yay, new jeans, let's try these ones. And I've never been to this restaurant before. Let's go yeah. over there. So they just want to constantly be stimulated with new experiences and find a way to talk about whatever you're doing in a way that shows them that this is an interesting experience. It's something new, it's something different, it's something a little bit outside of your norm and they'll be more interested in it than if it's just another one of the same thing that they've done a million times before. Awesome. And so just so, and to be clear in terms of this, this demographic, this doesn't matter what, it's the it's the sort of the value graphic. It's this age profile, but whether they're male, female, religious, not Great religious, point. you know, point. race, all that kind of stuff. Values cut across all demographics, right? And this is 
I, I, I don't want anybody listening to think that I'm like, demographics must die. Demographics must be used for what they should be used for. Mm -hmm. Now, the example I always use is reading glasses. Let's say we're trying to sell reading glasses to people who live in Lithuania. Yeah. Well, I can tell you it's not going to be 18 year old women who work in a grocery store in Lithuania who are buying reading glasses. There's a certain demographic you still need to understand. Yeah. But what we've done wrong so far is that we've then assumed people within that demographic are going to be the same right. as each other. Right. So you still need to know your demographic, but now you need to understand for that demographic, for those reading glasses, what are those people listening for? What do they care about? And that's where value graphics layers on top of demographics and helps you actually make decisions about influencing their behavior tomorrow, not just understanding who they are today. So that's that's the difference. Awesome. Thank you. So let me just close with a couple of quick yeah, ones here. This is the stuff. So this is kind of a side effect of having half a million surveys around the world and a random Stratstat rep is that we can profile demographic segments of the population of the world. Yep. So for example, let's look at millennials. Millennials, who we've all spent trillions of dollars trying to cater to because we think of them as some sort of unicorn in the enchanted forest that we've never <laughs> seen. Millennials only agree with each other on any of those 56 values 15% of the time. So what that means is 85% of the time, if you talk to millennials based on what you think you know about millennials, you're going to get it wrong. Yeah. Okay. You only have a 15% chance of getting it right. And by the way, any of these numbers, Generation Z at 16%, yeah. boomers at 14%, people who make different income uh, stratas, like 50 to 100,000, that's 8, 8%. I'm reading this out loud for the people who can't see it. Yeah. Um, we move down the chart, we start looking at things like married and single, 9%, 13%. Married, married 9%. <laughs> yeah, they only agree 9% of the time on anything. So so if you take a group and you describe your audience as married people who make $50,000 a year and are boomers, yeah. you're just taking three groups of people who hardly agree on anything and making a bigger group of people who hardly ever agrees on anything. And then you think you know who they are and you start talking yeah. to them and spending millions of dollars talking to Bob and Sally. Yeah. And that's why Bob and Sally didn't show up. Love what it. we were doing in that room that we didn't know was we were actually talking to a group of values. We had mm -hmm. chosen, thinking it was for Bob and Sally, to talk about a certain set of magnets. We didn't know what they were back then. Yeah. But those magnets were the dog whistles that all these different people from all these different walks of life were going, whoop, this one's for me. And that's why there was such a varied group of people in that room. So demographics don't help you understand how people are going to behave. Mm -hmm. They just understand, help you understand what people are. Now look yeah. at these numbers. If we put people in tribes based on what they care about and then see how often they agree on those 56 things, okay. those values that unite us and make us human, we get numbers like 89%, 85%, yeah. 80, like 82%. So these, numbers are about eight times bigger than if you use demographics to understand your target audience. So you can get an 8x just by thinking about what people value instead of thinking about what their out for facing characteristics, their demographic descriptions are. Now, if we're half wrong, we can only get you 4x. It's still pretty darn good. And yeah. if we can get you 2x because we're 75% wrong, even that's pretty darn good. But mm -hmm. guess what? we're only plus or minus 3.5% wrong 95% of the time. So this stuff to ignore the ability to understand your audience based on what they value is foolhardy. Our values bring us together. 
And demographics do nothing but push us apart into groups based on men versus women, rich versus poor, young versus old. And this, my big closing statement, this is why the world is so messed up right now. Because everything in the world starts with this demographic polarization exercise in a boardroom somewhere. Who are we selling these reading glasses to? We talk about how they're different from each other instead of what they share in common and what makes them human and what brings them together. If we could just get the world to start considering our values in everything we do, in every boardroom, B2B, B2C, politics, religion, sport, I don't care. Start thinking about what people care about instead of what kind of outward facing characteristics they have. And the world will start to heal itself slowly. It's not gonna fix all our problems, but it's gonna be heading in the right direction because my, my big line that I like to end with is always that if we're going to change the world, the first step is to change the way we look at the world. And that's what Value Graphics mission really is, is to get us all to think differently about each other. Wow. I mean, that, that was awesome. You know, I want to do a, a round of applause for, <laughs> for David because you're, I mean, you, you are hundred percent right. And I think what I hope to come out of the, the shit show of the pandemic that we're in at the moment, it's certainly a lot of people I talk to, it's made them reflect a hell of a lot on actually what they do care about on what they do value and all these assumptions that we have to be in the office nine you know five days a week doing the nine to five grand and this and that you know i was talking to a managing partner of a law firm yesterday and his view is office as far as he's concerned is dead three days max the purpose of the office is going to become something completely different in terms of what it's there for and he was using words like community bringing together i don't want to lose the culture of the firm that we have um we have uh, created you know things like we crave human contacts we crave all this actually what we, we've had this all taken away from us everything we took for granted so you know with people like you in terms of what you're doing and hopefully we can learn from this 2020 um moving into 2021 on, and, uh, and beyond to kind of look at everything through a slightly different uh, a slightly different uh lens uh david this has been an absolute joy i've learned so much my brain is kind of going like <laughs> like this right now i'm doing the whirly work around my um, it, can, it tends to do that uh, my, my head can i just remind people of one thing uh we, we do have this report it's like a 35 page report that we've done on this next generation of wealth and given who your audience is i thought they might find this useful yeah definitely so just find me on LinkedIn. It's David Allison, or I think if you just type in value graphics, I'll, I'll, put, your link in the, I'll put your link to the profile in, in, in the video. Yeah. Tap me on the shoulder with a DM there and uh, we'll send you the report for free. We just want the world to start thinking about values. So we publish these reports and push them out there to get people going in the right direction. Yeah, I'm already thinking of a number of my clients who are operating in this space who, who I will connect you with um, afterwards uh, anyway. So final question, David, uh, yeah. you started with this. So I'm going to end with this. What does your dog like to eat for breakfast? Ah, I don't have a dog. I made that up. Oh, <laughs> but I do, you know what I do have? I do have under the uh, under the cottage where I don't generally spend a lot of time because I don't quarantine most of the time. But uh, I've discovered we have raccoons and I don't know what they're eating down there, but they're sure having a party every morning. I hear them <laughs> under the floor in the bathroom I'm like, OK, there's raccoons down there. So I don't have dogs. I have raccoons because a little more exotic. A little more exotic. Excellent. Um, trash pandas. Is that what raccoons are called? Trash pandas. I <laughs> love that. Great term. <laughs> um, David, uh, absolute pleasure. It's a joy to have you on. Uh, thank you so much for your um, 
from uh, your time today. And uh, everybody, I hope you enjoyed listening to that and watching that. Please take up David on his uh, his offer of um, connecting with him, learning more by the uh, by the book if you want to you know answer that survey. But um, for me, goodbye, David. Thank you. Thank you.